I want to thank you for uh, joining us this evening. And I think uh, I'm sure you and all of us want to thank Harlan Crow and his family for making this wonderful <laughs> facility available to us. I know Harlan hates that. No, so I knew we had that's to why do. I wouldn't say it. <laughs> I knew we had to do it. I like to keep that friendship. <laughs> Hey everyone, this is Leon from Fiasco and Prologue Projects. On this premium episode of 5 to 4, Peter, Rhiannon, and Michael are talking about Clarence Thomas. Again, Thomas has been in the news after investigations by ProPublica reveal the depth of his financial entanglement with billionaire Harlan Crow. Crow, a major Republican donor, defends his relationship with Thomas as a friendship. More concretely, Crow is Thomas's mother's landlord, and he has hosted Thomas at his exclusive resorts and on his super yacht. Thomas and Crow claim there's nothing untoward about the relationship. Crow claims he has no business before the court, and Thomas claims he has not been influenced by the hundreds of thousands of dollars that Crow has spent on him. Thomas's failure to properly disclose it, notwithstanding. This is Five to Four, a podcast about how much the Supreme Court sucks. Welcome to 5 to 4, where we dissect and analyze the Supreme Court cases that have left our civil rights in a state of disrepair, like a Supreme Court justice's childhood home, before a billionaire fixes it up for them. (laughs) (laughs) I am Peter. Uh, I'm here with Michael. Hey, everybody. And Rhiannon. Hello. Much to discuss. No billionaire coming to fix up our civil liberties. (laughs) Nope. George Soros. He's on his way. (laughs) Today, we are talking about the ongoing controversies swirling around Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Ginny's husband. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. Better known as the husband of Ginny Thomas. (laughs) Now, in recent years, there has been a lot of spotlight on Clarence Thomas and his ethically questionable conduct. A little over a decade ago, reporting uncovered that Thomas had failed to disclose income paid to his wife, Ginny, by the Heritage Foundation, a prominent conservative think tank. Then, of course, in the wake of January 6th, Ginny was revealed to be a QAnon-believing freak who was involved (laughs) in state-level efforts to have the results of the 2020 election reversed and was, in fact, uh, a subject of the January 6th congressional investigations. And, of course, despite that, Justice Thomas did not recuse himself from potentially related cases. That's his girl. That's his ride or die. He's not recusing, okay? That's right. You got to stand by her. (laughs) And then, over the past few weeks, reporting from ProPublica, uncovered that Thomas was the recipient of numerous undisclosed gifts from the billionaire Republican donor Harlan Crow. And that is what we're going to talk about today. Given how spicy things have gotten, uh, we thought it would be useful for us to go over what we know, what the response has been, and what we think about all of this, all of this shit. And so we'll start with the first ProPublica report, first of multiple. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
which re I'll hand to you. Yeah, and we should just say ProPublica doing the Lord's work, right? Absolutely. Just, this is really incredible reporting. Hats off to them. They are looking at tons of records. They are talking to tons of witnesses. Yeah. Although I read in The Federalist, and this is true, that if they were serious, unbiased journalists, they would have looked into all of the Supreme Court justices. Mm. So keep that in mind. Okay, well, we're going to start with Clarence Thomas. <laughs> and uh, ProPublica is an independent news organization that reports a lot on sort of money and power. Yeah. In this first ProPublica report that dropped on April 6th, I just want to say when you go to the ProPublica website to, to read this article, the graphic and visual design on these reports is absolutely pristine. Mm-hmm. Basically, the reveal in, in this first ProPublica piece is of this, you know, extremely gratuitous relationship that Thomas has with Harlan Crow. But on the ProPublica website, it starts with like animated visuals accompanying the following text. For over 20 years, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas has been treated to luxury vacations by billionaire Republican donor Harlan Crow. He goes on cruises in far-flung locales on Crow's yacht, flies on his private jet, and keeps company with Crow's powerful friends at the billionaire's private resort. The extent of Crow's largesse has never been revealed until now. Absolutely get his ass. Go off frontline <laughs> documentary guy. Like really good stuff. Yeah. I want that like voiceover done in the uh, guy who does like all the trailer voiceovers. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. That's how I was hearing it. Yeah. So the article substantively starts with a description of a trip that the Thomases took with Harlan Crow back in 2019 to Indonesia. This included the use of a 162 foot yacht and a private charter plane. The trip could have have cost upwards of $500,000. But of course, Clarence Thomas didn't spend anywhere close to that to the extent that he paid for anything at all because Harlan Crow owns the jet and owns the yacht, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, it's not just one luxury vacation setting aside other kinds of gifts that can be given. Just the vacations alone have happened with astonishing frequency. The vacations that Harlan Crow and Clarence Thomas have taken together on Harlan Crow's dime. We are talking about nearly annual luxury trips accepted by Thomas from Crow without disclosing them. Thomas flies on the private jet. He has gone with Crow to an exclusive all-male retreat in California called Bohemian Grove. He has gone to Crow's (laughs) massive East Texas ranch. And he typically spends a week every summer, that's yearly, at Crow's private invite-only resort for billionaires in the Adirondacks. The trips, of course, are nowhere on Thomas's financial disclosures. This guy has an all-male retreat. Well, that's Bohemian Grove, right? That's not Crows, per se. Bohemian Grove is a creepy California, like, old money place that many conspiracy theorists harp on. Like, Alex Jones, I think, made his bones way back in the day sneaking in because they do weird rituals and shit. Very sort of odd place that is like bizarre enough and has enough like weird old rituals that people are just like, oh, uh, maybe rich people sacrifice children in there. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's that sort of place. Yeah. It's that weird. And then the Adirondacks Resort that Harlan Crow owns. Topridge. That's the Adirondacks one. That is invite only, though. Yeah. And is basically just this insane playground for billionaires. There is a life-size recreation of Hagrid's hut from Harry Potter on the grounds. <laughs> Lame. Absolutely the dumbest shit. Yeah. We're just random and stupid. Now if it were the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> the man is like 74. Like Harry Potter came out when he was like 52. Yeah. Like wh- what, what the fuck is that? Yeah, this has got to be like his great grandkid requested right, it. And so right. he just throws it up, right? But of course, gorgeous views, similarly situated hotels in the area charge upwards of $2,000, $3,000 a night for rooms there. And so, you know, again, this is an invite-only place. Thomas is spending a week there with his buds, with his bestie Harlan Crow, once a year. Mm-hmm. Good point in the article, by the way, in the ProPublica report, which we'll get to more later in terms of, like, the ethical rules around receiving these kinds of gifts and what people in government have to disclose. But members of Congress are generally prohibited from taking gifts worth $50 or more mm-hmm. and <laughs> would need pre-approval from an ethics committee to take many of the trips Justice Thomas has accepted from Crow. Mm-hmm. So this ProPublica report also kind of details their relationship. Yes, they have been friends for decades, but Clarence Thomas has been on the court for decades. Mm-hmm. So these are not like lifelong friends who have remained close right. as like each one found success in business and government, right? They met after Thomas became a Supreme Court justice. And Harlan Crow has been a major Republican donor for decades. According to publicly disclosed political contributions, ProPublica reports that he has given more than $10 million to conservative political causes and races. Open Secrets puts this at nearly $15 million, counting state and federal candidates, committees, party organizations. And that's not including dark money, right? Exactly mm-hmm. right. This is publicly disclosed, right? Crow also donates to organizations that do not require public disclosure, whose donor lists are not made public. And Crow has stated explicitly that he does not disclose his donations to places that he does not need to disclose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So just an example of of some of the at least 10 to 15 million dollars Harlan Crow has contributed to Republican causes. This includes, just as an example, $500,000, half a million dollars to an organization that ran advertisements urging the confirmation of George W. Bush's Supreme Court nominees. Mm Crow is a trustee of the George Bush Presidential Library Foundation. He's donated to the Federalist Society. He's given millions to groups dedicated to tort reform and conservative legal causes. He sits on the board of the Hoover Institution and the American Enterprise Institute. Both of these are conservative think tanks. Mm -hmm. The AEI actually has gifted Clarence Thomas with a bust of Lincoln valued at $15,000 a decade ago, and uh, has praised his jurisprudence at award galas. Again, this is an organization, a think tank, that Harlan Crow is on the governing board of, right? From other reporting and the reporting in this ProPublica piece, the gifts from Harlan Crow to Clarence Thomas over the course of their friendship, of course, have not been limited to vacations. Crow has bought properties in Georgia to restore into a museum that is directly one of Justice Thomas's pet projects. 
More on Crow Thomas real estate deals later. But this has included one of Harlan Crow's real estate companies purchasing land in Justice Thomas's childhood neighborhood for $1.5 million. This project had a preliminary construction budget of $1.3 million, and Clarence Thomas was directly involved with this project. He played a big role in creating a documentary the museum will eventually show. He hosted a design team from Dallas for a four-hour meeting at his Supreme Court office in 2011. In addition to Clarence Thomas directly picking people who work on the project, right? This is Clarence Thomas's pet project. He is in part writing his legacy for history with the creation of this museum while he is on the bench, and it is financed by Harlan Crow. Crow has helped finance a library project dedicated to Clarence Thomas to the tune of at least $175,000. That's in one donation. He's given Clarence Thomas a Bible that belonged to Frederick Douglass. I give this to you, my only black friend. That's right. (laughs) Through Crow's foundation, he gave $105,000 to Yale Law School for the Justice Thomas Portrait Fund. I'm sorry, that... that do you need a fund? I Just commission the portrait. How many are there? <laughs> These institutions, they're just money laundering. Yeah, yeah Fucking right. scams. And Harlan Crow gave $500,000. Again, that is half a million dollars for Ginny Thomas to start a tea party organization back in the day, a little pack. And that organization, in turn, paid Ginny a salary of $120,000 a year. Mm. <laughs> Straight into the pocket. <laughs> yeah. So this is all supplemented by other reporting, of course. But this was this first ProPublica piece. What it kind of, you know, blew the lid off of is at least the gift giving, right? The vacations, right. the stuff that Clarence Thomas and Ginny Thomas are getting for free. Like the Harlan Crow is financing their vacations. He is giving them extremely expensive gifts. He is financing Thomas's, you know, legacy projects, Mm -hmm. all while Thomas is on the bench, all while Harlan Crow is donating also to conservative causes. Mm -hmm. Right. And one other fun piece from the ProPublica reporting was that Clarence Thomas has often like held himself out as sort of like an everyman who's who's like low on frills, right? Yes. And so he famously loves RVs. He likes driving around the country in his RV. And so he's been quoted as being like, look, I don't need I don't need like a fancy vacation. I, I'll I'll just hang out in my RV in a Walmart parking lot. Mm-hmm. And it's like, actually, he's on a super yacht going like around the globe. Yeah. And, and going to like resorts that you need to be an actual millionaire to even afford. Yeah. Right. So I think the ProPublica piece is sort of hinting at this idea that Clarence Thomas is like purposefully cultivating a bullshit image mm-hmm. uh, where he's an everyman exactly. when in reality he is like the epitome of an elite. There is like a sort of infamous picture now of Thomas in front of his RV sort of posing f- for a photo that accompanies a lot of these articles and it turns out he's wearing a polo shirt mm-hmm. that has the insignia for, I believe it's the private yacht, but it might be for the resort. Yeah, no, it's the yacht. It's that Harlan Crow is basically like a Disney mom level uh, guy. <laughs> and he <laughs> makes 
shirts for people right. to commemorate vacations. So if you're ever at Disney World, you'll see someone. It's just like Johnson Family Vacation 2023. And you're right. like, Jesus, that was a waste of like $40 or right. whatever the yeah. fuck. They do that for their yeah. super yacht global cruises. <laughs> right. And so he has one that says like Greece 2007. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's incredible. And so, yeah, he's posing as an everyman while he's wearing his $500,000 gratis vacation commemorative polo shirt. It's just <laughs> right. so perfect. It's so perfect. Now, you might be wondering, who is Harlan Crow? Yeah, yeah. How did he make his money? What's he all about? Uh, he's a Nepo baby. He <laughs> didn't make all his money. His dad made all his money. Well, the workers made the money, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Left his podcast, baby. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Never lose focus. I won't pretend to know Harlan Crow. I do know some things about him, mm -hmm. curious things, some some interesting things you, dear listener, may be also uh, interested to hear about. He's a collector of historical artifacts. Loves history. Including Nazi memorabilia, mm -hmm. pins, uh, stamps, Hitler's own paintings, mm -hmm. a signed copy of Mein Kampf. <laughs> linens embroidered with swastika insignia he uh he likes collected nazi shit kind of weird so dark mm -hmm. people have defended him on this point by saying hey he also has a garden of evil statues where he collects statues of vanquished evil leaders right like lenin and stalin are any of his nazi stuff in the garden of evil no. No. <laughs> no. That's the no. thing. Is, it's got to be somewhere else. The way that this sort of discourse came out was like, hey, this guy collects Nazi stuff. And everyone's like, that's weird. It seems like maybe he is a Nazi yeah. or has some level of sympathy. And then other people were like, no, no, no. He starts to collect shit from like evil empires of the 20th century. Right. And the proof of that is his garden of evil, which has statues of evil dictators but but <laughs> there are no nazi dictators <laughs> right it's missing the main guy yeah like if i was just like evil dictator 20th century what what's happening in your brain who are you picturing you know I'm picturing hitler it's got to be hitler it's right. got to be hitler <laughs> yeah. how are you missing a hitler statue <laughs> right it just doesn't yeah. quite feel like it's coming together i haven't heard anyone point to any like collecting uh, historical artifacts of evil that get these sorts of place of pride in his house. Yeah. Right? Like he has like these cabinets where he's displaying this shit. Hitler's paintings are on display directly next to an original Norman Rockwell. Like. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I mean, who looks at that and is like, oh yeah, there's one of great American painters and there's my reminder of Man's inhumanity to a man right next to right. it. It right. doesn't really track. It feels at the very least more like he considers these like a neat curio, right? Yeah, like a, just a sort of like morbid curiosity with like immense systemic violence. Like right. that's something mm -hmm. that is like fascinating to him. Right. right. Not that he is like making any sort of point. He's just like, ooh, cool. <laughs> like, just yeah, like a, yeah. That's like your best case scenario, right? Yeah, your worst exactly. case scenario is he's a Nazi. Yeah. Right. I want to quote from a 2014 article where he tries to play this off, one of the first times it comes to light. He says, it is not an art collection, 
but a historical nod to the facts of man's inhumanity to man, to men and a few women whom democratic societies, if they know the history of the 20th century, call evil personified. So that's a whole bunch of bullshit. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's pretty much it. That's all he's got to say about it. I do want to note, it's not easy to get hold of Nazi memorabilia, mm -hmm. especially like this stuff seems like pretty, like he probably paid a lot of money to this and had to go digging for it. It's illegal in a lot of Europe to sell memorabilia, Germany, right. Austria, France, just entirely. A lot of major auction houses, Sotheby's, Christie's, Bonham's won't sell Nazi memorabilia. When other auction houses have done that stuff in the past, there's been such an uproar that they've immediately pulled it, made it a new policy. Similarly, eBay and even Yahoo in the early aughts we're like, we're not going to have anybody selling Nazi memorabilia. Mm -hmm. So this guy is like, he's looking hard for this shit. Right. Yeah. And I think Hitler's watch sold for like over a million dollars recently. So he's paying a lot for this shit. He's looking hard for it. Mm -hmm. and he's paying hard for it. Yeah. And who knows who that money is going to, right? Oh, yeah. Remember when the fucking owners of Hobby Lobby, it was revealed that they're like fucking funding ISIS because yeah. they're buying <laughs> on the black market, uh, yeah. on the black market, like ancient documents and yeah. ancient like antiquities, yeah. antiquities. Right. right. Exactly. This is the same circle of people, folks, you know? Yeah. When I was like trying to look into like how to get Nazi memorabilia for this portion of it. When Michael did his deep research deep in research. how to get Nazi memorabilia, he, he's now uh, 2.5 million in the hole, but owns several, <laughs> <laughs> several collectibles. Yeah. Apparently the market for this stuff is like growing now as vets die and families are like, what are we going to do with all this stuff? Mm. And I did read uh, an interesting first person account from some journalists who like accidentally stumbled upon one of these and went to it. You know, one of them was a descendant of uh, people who died in the Holocaust. Another was a descendant of uh, the Armenian genocide. And they were just like, what the fuck is this? And the impression you get is that a lot of the people involved in this are like pretty much Nazi sympathizers. <laughs> like, right. Right. Like, absolutely. Saying uh, they want to tell both sides of the story mm -hmm. of the Holocaust. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. So a few days after the initial reporting, ProPublica published another report about a real estate deal between Thomas and Crow. About 10 years ago, Crow bought several properties that were owned by Thomas, his mother, and the family of his late brother, including a childhood home and some lots on the same block. Shortly after the sale, about $35,000 worth of improvements were made to the childhood home, including the addition of a carport and repairs to the roof and the fencing and gates. That is made more interesting by the fact that Clarence Thomas's mother still lives in the house. Well, well, well. <laughs> and apparently does not pay rent to Harlan Crow, who, of course, is now the owner of the house. Mm. None of this was disclosed by Thomas. Now, Crow claims that his goal is to preserve the home and ultimately turn it into a museum about Clarence Thomas. That might be plausible, 
but it is complicated in part because of the additions made to the house and also because the nearby lots that Crow bought were actually ultimately sold to a developer just mm-hmm. to build houses on. Right. So it's hard to know if that makes a ton of sense. And either way, it's a little bit weird that his mom is still living there, not paying rent. Mm-hmm. He also bought a neighboring house that was known to be like a party house. Mm-hmm. And an eyesore, apparently. An eyesore and like a noise issue. Kicked out the people who lived there and just fucking bulldozed it. Right. Now it's a nice, quiet neighborhood. No more parties. Right. You're welcome, Mrs. Thomas. <laughs> That's right. So there's also a question here of whether Crow paid fair market value. Mm-hmm. Uh, he bought the home and two lots, I believe, for $133,000. In 2009, Thomas reported that he had a one-third stake in the properties worth a maximum of $15,000. Now, I'm a bit of a mathematical savant, so don't be intimidated (laughs) by this, but three times $15,000 is not $133,000. It is, in fact, $45,000. Right. Now, I think it's fair to say that it's quite possible that this part, the valuation, was a reporting oversight or maybe just an old appraisal of some kind. But if you look at the sale prices for the nearby properties that Crow bought, uh, he bought a couple of lots, one that was vacant, one that had a small house on it. Those he bought for 40000 So while not exorbitant, mm. there does seem to be a little bit of a question about whether or not this was, uh, you know, a nice juicy price for the Thomas family, mm-hmm. right? And regardless... Clarence Thomas was supposed to disclose this stuff. That's right. (laughs) That's right. right. We'll talk about the rules a little bit later, but I think it's worth noting that whether or not there was some sort of like shady manipulation going on here, Clarence Thomas was supposed to report this stuff and he did not. He did not. That's right. And just to add on to a little bit more of what Clarence Thomas did not report, again, we're about to talk a little bit later about what he should have reported, what the rules are, what the rules could be. But the L.A. Times reported at least on the gift giving or the gift receiving by Clarence Thomas. Right. Back in 2004, the L.A. Times reported that the gifts that Thomas had received and disclosed that that valuation, the value of those gifts was higher than the gifts received and and disclosed by any other Supreme Court justice. Mm -hmm. I think back then they said it was something around $40,000 that Justice Thomas had received in gifts in those disclosures. The result after that is that Thomas never reported gifts again. (laughs) He just stopped reporting them. Mm So, again, all of this, this long line of stuff, you know, uh, real estate dealings, gifts of all kinds, including massive luxury vacations that only the 1% of the 1% of people on Earth are enjoying. Mm -hmm. None of that is disclosed. So, you know, Harlan Crow, Justice Thomas, some Republican fuckwads have sort of cobbled together responses in the last week or so to at least these most recent ProPublica reports. Harlan Crow came out with a statement along with his wife, just a little three paragraph 
paragraphs saying, you know, we're just friends. We are dear, dear friends. We are friends. We are friends who love each other dearly. And this is what friends do. Mm-hmm. Although, like, there's also, to, to my ear, there's like a real, there's a tone of impunity here. A tone of like, we're not doing anything wrong. And in fact, we're going to keep fucking doing it. Yeah. Right. So the Crow statement says, quote, we have never asked about a pending or lower court case. And Justice Thomas has never discussed one. And we have never sought to influence Justice Thomas on any legal or political issue. More generally, I am unaware of any of our friends ever lobbying or seeking to influence Justice Thomas on any case. And I would never invite anyone who I believe had any intention of doing that. A side note, maybe a good time to mention here, at the Adirondacks Resort that Crow owns, there's this portrait, painted portrait, clearly commissioned, of him, Harlan Crow, hanging out with Justice Thomas. Also included in that portrait, none other than Leonard Leo, former head of the Federalist Society. Mm-hmm. None other than Mark Pauletta, who has served as chief counsel to former Vice President Mike Pence. General Counsel of Donald Trump's Office of Management and Budget. Both of these guys, political operatives, right? Uh, Clearly, like they are. That is their job. And again, these are the guys that Justice Thomas is friends with, saying that he's friends with, and yet insisting that they're not talking about cases, not talking about these issues. General Counsel of Office of Management and Budget might sound like a pretty whatever position. That put him right in the middle of and a key player in Trump withholding monetary assistance to Ukraine as part of their scheme to generate bad intel on his political opponents, right? right? This was like he right in the middle of the most corrupt shit that Trump right. was doing. Just a little tidbit about Mark Pauletta. Yeah. Just want to also mention that Mark Pauletta represented Ginny Thomas at the January 6th hearings. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. That's crazy that he even knew that that was happening, considering how little they talk about right. politics. Right, right. Yeah. They're just talking about the fucking weather. Guys, get off their dicks. Yeah. How did you find out that Ginny Thomas was even implicated in talking about <laughs> politics so little? This is the the same line, by the way, that Ginny herself was like, yeah, me and Clarence, we don't talk about politics. It's like, right. So Clarence doesn't talk about politics with his friends. He doesn't talk about politics with his wife. Yeah. How does he even know what's going? Like, what? what is, right. who does he talk to about politics? Right. There's got to be someone. I would love someone right. to come forward and be like, I talk about politics with Clarence Thomas. Who's that guy? Right. Exactly. <laughs> in finally, the Harlan Crow statement, uh, you know, in response to this reporting ends with, quote, we believe Justice Thomas to be one of the greatest Americans of our time. Mm-hmm. And we believe it is important to make sure as many people as possible learn about him, remember him and understands the ideals for which he stands. We will continue to support projects that advance this goal. Isn't this kind of a creepy like yes. thing to say about your friend? Like, are you friends or are you like a weird admirer? You know, right. You can say nice things about your friends, but it's very bizarre to be like my podcast co-host, Michael, is one of the greatest Americans (laughs) and I want to make sure that people learn about him (laughs) like that's It just it's just such an odd way to talk about a friend. It makes it seem like it's sort of not 
a friendship. It makes it seem like it's a professional relationship. That's right. He talks about Thomas like a general manager in sports, mm-hmm. talks about one of their players when they're campaigning for them to win an award. Like he sounds like Pat Riley pushing Bam Adebayo for defensive player of the year or something. Right, right. right. It sounds like you're campaigning on someone's behalf. The things he does for our team are just immeasurable. Exactly. (laughs) I've never seen an athlete like him before. Right. Blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. Which I do think gets to a better sort of sense of their relationship. (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. Thomas also has issued a statement through the Supreme Court's PR office after the first ProPublica report, yeah. where he says, you know, Harlan and Kathy Crow are among our dearest friends. We've been friends for 25 years. Again, he has been on the court for longer than 25 years. <laughs> that is that is the funniest line of the whole statement yeah. because he's like, you know, we've been friends for over 25 years. And it's, he's, right. supposed, he's trying to paint a portrait in your mind of like this long friendship and like, how dare you question it? It's like, mm-hmm. right. OK, so that was 1998. Yeah. You had been on the Supreme Court for seven years at right. that point. And like just just trying to yeah. like edge around the reality that you are friends with this guy because you are on the Supreme right. Court. Exactly. He's been my friend for nearly as long as I've been on the court. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> we met by coincidence shortly after my ascension yeah. to the bench. Right. He says, as friends do, we have joined them on a number of family trips during the more than a quarter of a century we have known them. Early in my tenure at the court, I sought guidance for my colleagues and others in the judiciary and was advised that this sort of personal hospitality from close personal friends was not reportable. Hmm. This is such obvious bullshit. (laughs) I like that he hits us with the as friends do. Right. Like as friends do, they spend a solid uh, half million a year just luxuriating uh, with us. (laughs) (laughs) This is such bizarre rich person shit where like you're forced to stare at these billionaires and the dynamics that they foster with public officials and they're just telling you to your face as if you are the dumbest person on the planet that this is all normal right like you go on vacations with friends right it's like yes i do uh we all pay for our vacations and we travel together and like maybe i buy someone a drink sometimes like well not quite the same as flying someone around the globe on your private jet and taking them on a weeks-long vacation on your private yacht like as friends do right has thomas ever hosted harlan Paid for uh, Harlan for two weeks, gotten him back for all this? No, of course not, because that's not the dynamic of the relationship. Also, the idea that he uh, consulted with colleagues. A couple ways to interpret that. One is that all the other justices are also being feted in this mm-hmm. way. Yeah. I mean, they're like, yo, when we're on some billionaire's private jet, like, do we got to report that? Which colleagues, Clarence? That's what I want to know. Yeah, which colleagues? Right? John Roberts tell you that? Sam Alito? I mean, it's probably it's probably fucking Scalia who right. like is notoriously a little bit shady about this stuff himself. Right. Yeah, I mean, Scalia died on one of these retreats. Exactly. Right. Like he was on some like hunting retreat on some billionaire's massive ranch or whatever. Yes, yeah, Scalia was notorious for tacking trips onto speaking gigs so that he didn't have to report them separately. Yeah. 
or he's just collapsing this distinction between you like making mac and cheese and buying a bottle of wine for friends and him getting a $500,000 vacation. Right. Right. As if those are the same things. Either way, it's obvious bullshit. Right. Another prominent response to the whole situation came from our good friend, friend of the pod, former (laughs) Supreme Court Justice, Stephen Breyer. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Stephen, he has something to say. Yeah. Yeah. What is it? (laughs) He... (laughs) He said, and I quote, as far as I'm concerned... I sat next to him on the bench for 28 years. Mm-hmm. I like him. He's a friend of mine. I've never seen him do anything underhanded or su- <laughs> sorry. I've never seen him do anything underhanded or say anything underhanded. Mm. My personal point of view is he's a man of integrity. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, yeah, thanks for weighing in, you fucking mark. Yeah. You absolute dipshit. Like first of all, you have no idea what's going on here, right, Stephen Breyer? Right? It's like, oh, I sat next to him. Was he filling out his disclosure forms <laughs> while he sat next to you? Right. Yeah. What kind of a what kind of a like you know? I shook his hand, then he looked me in the eye. Sort of like analysis is this? Yeah. You know. Right. right. Exactly. People are mad at him about this because just like shut the fuck yeah, up. Yeah. Just shut you up. Don't know what you're talking about. You like genuinely. You don't know. Like it's literally just like, well, he's my friend. Mm-hmm. The other part of this, we were talking about this when we were when it originally happened. The court's disclosures over the last couple of years for like books show that like Amy Coney Barrett made like hundreds of thousands of dollars on her book deal. I think Sonia Sotomayor made a little over a hundred thousand dollars on a book deal. Stephen Breyer put out that like essay, like long essay about like mm-hmm court not being a political body a couple years back. Yeah, it was almost like a pamphlet kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he made $8,000. You fucking loser, dude. He's doing it for the love of the game, Peter. He's making less than a summer associate. Yeah. Not even close. <laughs> not even close. It's a week of being a summer associate. Clarence Thomas is on fucking super yachts and Stephen Breyer is making sub-minimum wage handing out pamphlets. And he's and he's weighing in like, I think Clarence is a man of integrity. He's my friend. Bro, you are a fucking loser, dude. Clarence is on a private jet with right. billionaires. Laughing at you, dude. Like, yes. Stephen Breyer sucks ass. He's such a fucking nerd. Right. Yeah. We were talking about, like, at some point during your life, I feel like everyone has maybe had someone in their social circle who's just a dork and you don't really like like them in the sense that you enjoy their company, but they're nice. They're like a nice person. So like, you know, you, you're, you're being friendly with them because you know, you want to be nice. You, you, you think they're, they're all right, but you kind of secretly know that if they were asked, they would say that you were one of their good friends. <laughs> right. And that yes. makes you feel sad in your heart. Right. right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. That's yeah. the dynamic between Briar and Clarence Thomas. <laughs> Clarence Thomas is on a $500,000 a week super yacht and Briar's making 
grand on a pamphlet about fairness at the court or something. <laughs> and he's like, Clarence is my friend. Clarence is my best friend. No, he's not, dude. <laughs> are you getting invited to the fucking yachts and resorts, bro? No, then you're not his friend, are you? <laughs> Oh, man. After the second ProPublica story, they trotted out Mike Davis, who is a huge Republican hack, former Gorsuch clerk. If you ever want to remove any doubt about the scruples and intelligence of the clerks at the Supreme Court, read his Twitter feed. (laughs) Barely distinguishable from like a fucking Steve Bannon or Alex Jones. Once accused me of being a terrorist, uh, by the way. Yeah, broken clocks. <laughs> <laughs> so Davis, you know, came out and basically was making excuses for Thomas and then an anonymous right. source, who could it be? Certainly not Mike Davis. Right. Who were these aides? Said that Thomas always filled out his forms with the help of aides and that this real estate purchase was an oversight not to report the real estate transaction. Thomas believed he didn't have to disclose because he lost money on the deal, according to the source. This is obvious nonsense. First of all, it can't be the case that he believed he didn't have to disclose it and it was an oversight. It's like one or the other can't be both. So it really sounds more like you're just dissembling, right? You're just throwing shit at the wall, Mm -hmm, seeing what mm -hmm. sticks. Also, he fills out the forms with the help of AIDS. Not an accountant, right? not a lawyer, not a government lawyer. No, he has his clerks do this for him. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, you have aides that help you with your Supreme Court disclosures. Yeah. The implication here is that Clarence Thomas told them about the property sale and they were like, no, you don't need to report it. Yeah. <laughs> Obvious bullshit. Not to mention the profit and loss for these types of disclosures is never relevant to whether or not you need to disclose it. Oh, yeah. Any competent lawyer knows Mm -hmm. that, right? Clarence Thomas, 100% knows that. As an aside, while you were were talking there, Peter, I got a little uh, notification from my watch to to let me know that my my heart rate's elevated. (laughs) 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 I got got an Apple Watch for my birthday and it's like, Mike. Calm down. Fucking chill out. You are- yeah, <laughs> you are getting worked up. <laughs> well, if it helps, uh, well, <laughs> no, it won't help. I think the other side of that argument that like, well, he lost money on the deal. That's why he didn't disclose it is mm. this is property that he inherited in 1983. Yeah. And then sold in 2014. Now, we know almost to a certainty that he gained money on the transaction because he disclosed the value as sub Mm $15,000 at some point, and it was sold for a third of $133,000. But even with that aside, if you inherit property in 1983 and then sold it in 2014 and didn't make a profit, you deserve to be impeached because <laughs> I I don't I just don't understand how that's even possible. Right. Unless during the deal you drop a briefcase with fifty thousand dollars in cash <laughs> into right. a sewer. Right. Uh, there's no right. way to lose money doing that deal. It just doesn't make any sense. They obviously just have like anonymous sources just like running around throwing shit at the wall, like you're right. saying, and just yeah, let's see what sort of deniability we can float. And, you know, test things out. Yeah. I just want to add, I don't think in a controversy revolving around a public official not making mandatory disclosures 
that possibly is covering up corruption, news organizations should be granting anyone anonymity. Right. I think if you want to talk about this shit, you got to talk about it on the record. Yeah. Like, put your name to it. Fuck that. Fuck anonymous sources on this. That's bullshit. Yeah. We should probably also touch briefly on the sort of conservative media response to this stuff, especially after the first report bunch of conservatives came out not just in defense of Clarence Thomas, but in defense of Harlan Crow. You had like a bunch of weirdos like yeah. David French, Jonah Goldberg, Charles Murray. Newly minted New York Times columnist David French. Right. Yep. <laughs> just like coming out and being like, I am friends with Harlan Crow. And he would never try to influence Clarence Thomas's jurisprudence. And it's sort of like, whoa, 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 whoa. First of all, the fact that you all fucking know this guy, mm. and by the way, every single one of them is financially intertwined with him to some degree. Yes. Uh, yes. The fact that you all know him yes. makes this worse. Mm -hmm. Like, you do understand. Like, uh, excuse me, I was also bought <laughs> right. by Harlan Crow, so please do not yes. speak ill of <laughs> right. him. Now, the other side of this was the Clarence Thomas defenders, of course. The Wall Street Journal's editorial board published an op-ed titled The Smearing of Clarence Thomas. They essentially characterized this as like part of an effort by the left to attack the court and undermine the court. And they sort of cast doubt on how important this was. They said that the ProPublica report uses like aggressive adjectives, saying like it's luxury trips and super yachts. Right. And terms like that to make it sort of seem worse than it was. The ProPublica reporter, for what it's worth, pointed out that super yacht is like actually a term of art. Like there's a point at which a yacht becomes so big that it is technically a super yacht. And this one qualifies. Do not body shame super yachts. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever size a yacht wants to be, that is the size that is right for that yacht. The Wall Street Journal also said, quote, Justice Thomas would have been obliged to disclose gifts that posed a conflict of interest involving cases that would be heard by the high court. But there is no evidence that Mr. Crow has had any such business before the court. I also saw this basic line across conservative media. I think this one is the Federalist. They just said no cases involving Harlan Crow have ever reached Thomas. That was something that was frequently mentioned in conservative media. Let's put that in our pocket for just a second before we move on. Yeah, hold on to that. Fifth Circuit Justice James Ho weighed in on this controversy. God, there's nothing his <laughs> sniveling little stupid greasy ass won't comment on. <laughs> that man loves his name in print. You know, essentially just sort of saying like, yeah, doing that same thing where it's like, well, if there's no cases involving him before the court, then, you know, it's all it's all fine. Before you continue a little factoid about James Ho. He was sworn in by Clarence Thomas in Harlan Crow's private library. Hmm. Yeah. Just something to think about. <laughs> yeah. An event yeah. that Clarence Thomas flew in for on Harlan Crow's private jet. It's small world stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, probably my favorite line. I, you know, I read through a bunch of pieces by just the dumbest fucking <laughs> morons in right wing media about this. And probably my favorite line is from the Federalist where they said Thomas's venial sin is not caring what the media or elites think of him. 
fuck? Yeah. That's that's definitely yeah. the takeaway. Yeah. I do think we're at a point like where we we've like sort of crossed over the event horizon where conservatives have forgotten what elite actually means and now it just means like mm-hmm. gay liberal or something, right? Mm-hmm. They don't view it as a thing about money and power. No. It's just like are you a lib or not and that's it. And yeah, I mean, in general, conservative media has been doing this sort of like, oh, you can't have friends, can't can't have friends anymore, mm-hmm. right? And that's been the that's been the sort of spin, like focus on the friendship aspect, avoid discussion of the disclosure details and like the requirements yep. in their sort of technicality. You know, just frame it as a hit job. Yeah, a little note for you folks out there, also by the way, per our good friend Antonin Scalia. Having friends actually is black letter law grounds for recusal, even for a Supreme Court justice. It depends on their interest at stake. You know, Scalia describes Mm -hmm. it as like their life or their fortune, which presumably means, you know, like someone is suing Harlan Crow and you can decide the size of the damages or something like that. But, you know, something to consider as we move through this sorted tale, whether a repeat player at the court who's consistently asserting his interests might also be someone who, if a close friend, would justify recusal. Mm -hmm. Before we get to that, though, we should talk a little bit about Clarence Thomas's jurisprudence about disclosure. Yeah. Because, folks, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> yeah. And, like, regardless if Harlan Crow was involved, like, we have Clarence Thomas on the record in Supreme Court cases yeah. ruling on these right. issues, right? Disclosure yeah. and corruption in government. Right. So, if you go back and listen to our second episode, Citizens United, you might remember that there were actually two pieces to that decision. There was the five to four decision, which said money is speech and it's protected by the First Amendment. But there was another piece to it that upheld disclosure requirements associated with campaign giving. And that decision was eight to one with a solo dissent <laughs> from drum roll, drum roll. <laughs> Who was it? From Clarence Thomas. <laughs> Thomas sort of is sketching out this idea that disclosure rules actually impinge on free speech by facilitating bullying. This he fleshes out some more in a Dovey Reed a couple years later, where he starts to create a whole jurisprudence around this and this idea that protests based around other people's political activity or campaign giving chill speech and therefore should be prevented by allowing people to do a lot of political organizing in secret. Yeah, It's so ridiculous that it prompts Scalia who points out, look, there are already laws against threats and intimidation. We don't need to limit disclosure to prohibit the stuff that you're worried about. Harsh criticism short of unlawful action is a price our people have traditionally been willing to pay for self-governance, right? Yeah, fair enough. But Thomas sort of wins the day on this point. The court 
comes around with him at least a little bit in Americans for Prosperity v. Bonta, which has to do with giving to charitable organizations that in turn engage in political giving and political expenditures, et cetera, et cetera. And whether they have to publish their donor lists. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. He did have a separate concurrence to once again reiterate you know, all this bullying and, and intimidation that our poor billionaires are facing. All they want to do is like fund an insurrection. Right. And now people are going to boycott their various holding companies. <laughs> that is, uh, that's the big threat to free speech of our time. Right. He also was in the unanimous majority in the McDonald case we covered just a few months ago, which basically said the type of behavior we're describing in this case is not quid pro quo corruption without like a very strong showing in the tit for tat on behalf of the uh, government official, right? Right. There needs to be a signed contract saying we're doing corruption. Right, Right, basically. Otherwise, it's not corruption. Right, right, right. So I think our speculation about the justices feeling like this stuff is very normal and that's why it was unanimous, vindicated. Yep, always right, always right. That's right. So that's just a little bit on how Clarence Thomas has been using his power. Right. So we've touched on it, but I do think that it's time now to turn our impeccable lawyer brains to the fundamental question on everyone's mind here. Mm -hmm. Was this illegal? Did Clarence Thomas break the law? Mm -hmm. And are we therefore going to citizens arrest him (laughs) when this episode is over. In general, federal judges do have a code of ethics that they have to adhere to. The Supreme Court actually doesn't. So the federal judges underneath the Supreme Court have this while Supreme Court justices specifically do not have a judicial code of ethics. So from the first ProPublica report, that article says, quote, federal judges sit in a unique position of public trust. They have lifetime tenure, a privilege intended to insulate them from the pressures and potential corruption of politics. A code of conduct for federal judges below the Supreme Court requires them to avoid even the appearance of impropriety. Members of the high court, Chief Justice John Roberts has written, consult that code for guidance. The Supreme Court is left almost entirely to police itself. Almost entirely. (laughs) There are very few laws and rules governing the ethical conduct of Supreme Court justices. But there is the Ethics in Government Act, which requires certain disclosures by judges, Supreme Court justices included. And very quickly, I will say that recently the guidelines provided for disclosure were changed to be more stringent. And under those new guidelines, Thomas would have violated the law. But that was very recent, last couple of months. And since those changes are new, I will talk only about the old guidelines. Keep things simple. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So justices have to disclose gifts that they receive, but they do not have to disclose food lodging, or entertainment received as personal hospitality. So the question is, what's personal hospitality? Right. The guidelines say that it's hospitality extended for non-business reasons at the personal residence of that person or on property or facilities owned by the person or their family. Okay. 
So maybe there is some torture definition here, right? Where you can say, look, a massive private resort and a super yacht are technically just like property and facilities owned by Harlan Crow. Right. I don't think that that's the smartest way to read that rule, to call a super yacht vacation around the world hospitality. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's obviously meant for like your friends crashing at your place, right? right? You're going to cook your friend a meal, maybe even let them use your guest home or something right. for a brief period of time. The more it becomes like we're gifting you a vacation, the farther this gets from being a plausible reading. But I don't think it matters. First, the resort is not owned by Harlan Crow. Right. It's owned by a corporate entity he controls And the law specifically says that the hospitality cannot be extended by a corporation or organization. It says that. On top of that, gifting someone use of your private plane (laughs) (laughs) is not personal hospitality by any coherent definition. Mm -mm. And keep in mind, not only were they flown to like vacations that they were going on, but there is pretty ample evidence that they just used his jet for like personal reasons when Crow was not involved at all. Just like, yeah, sure, you can pop down on my jet. You can pop over to New Haven on my jet. So, yeah, he violated the law by not disclosing the shit. It seems pretty cut and dry to me. And that opinion I mentioned, Scalia, when he talked about personal friends being reasons to recuse, he also says, plane travel is just like a cut and dried example of like something you have to report and disclose and like reimbursements for that and whatever like that that's right right like this was a known thing that supreme court justices were writing about right in the pages of the court reporter like the the federal reports in 2004 right i want to make a point about this because even if you're just looking at the resort which i think is maybe a little grayer if crow charged guests at the resort like $3,000 a night or he charged guests on his super yacht 50 grand a night and then he gave the Thomases a voucher so that they could stay for free there's no argument that that would be something you need to disclose that's a gift mm-hmm. right 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 but since crow hosts everyone for free he can argue that it's all just friendly personal hospitality right but if that's your interpretation of the rule What it means is that you're creating an exception to the rule for billionaires. Yes. Because Harlan Crow can afford to not charge the guests at his resorts and super yachts, right? Exactly. He can afford to make lavish gifts look as though they are personal hospitality. He is rich enough that he can give many people access to his resort and yacht and private jet And then just say, hey, look, I give all my friends this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's personal hospitality, right? And so if you allow for that, if you think that's all cool, all you're doing is creating a cavernous loophole that can be used only by the richest people on earth. Exactly. They get special rules, period. The exact people, by the way, that we should be concerned about peddling influence. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's all before you get to the property situation. (laughs) Right. Don't forget the real estate. (laughs) The law very plainly covers income from real estate sales. And there's just no colorable argument that Thomas didn't need to disclose it. Nothing. Right. All you have is that anonymous CNN source saying like, well, he lost money on the property, which 
A doesn't matter and B is almost certainly not true. So yeah, I think the fundamental question of did he violate the law is actually just an open and shut yes. But I don't know, try getting that from the media discourse, which I think has really obfuscated this and really made it seem as if there is like this really baffling open question here. Yeah. I just don't understand it. That's just not true. I mean, yeah. it's true that the disclosure laws are not like the clearest cut things ever, but it just seems like the only reasonable read of the laws and guidelines would indicate that he has violated them. And I have not seen that many mainstream media sources with the balls to just say that. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, we should say Dahlia Lithwick and Mark Joseph Stern over at Slate have been one of the only I've seen sort of definitive about this, right? Like Mm -hmm. the headline is Clarence Thomas broke the law. It isn't even close. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kudos to them. Good on them for coming. And that was before the property deal Mm -hmm. came out. Yeah. Yeah. So kudos to them for coming out and saying it. But what I've seen a lot, and we were discussing this earlier today, I think, Michael, you might have shared a tweet of somebody being like, look, okay, the problem isn't that Clarence Thomas has billionaire friends and he's going on the gifted luxury vacations and he's getting the real estate deals. You know, that's fine. The problem is he didn't disclose it. So let's make sure we're just talking about disclosure here. Mm. And so just notice like this limitation of the scope, right? Conservatives and others are trying to say like, okay, if there is any problem here, the problem is only that Clarence Thomas didn't disclose this stuff. Right. It's a paperwork issue. Right, right. This is a paperwork issue. This is a technical issue. This is a little bit of an, a personal oversight, right? It's like, I messed up on my taxes or something, right? You're switching goalposts here. It fails to recognize <laughs> the reason why you have ethical rules and disclosure requirements in the first place. It is so that we know what these motherfuckers are doing in our government, Mm -hmm. right? Who they are accepting gifts from. And also to discourage this kind of massive personal entanglement with people who should be separate, objective when they are deciding these issues, right? Yes. Right. To build off that, I mean, you're never going to get the giant bag of money in exchange for the Supreme Court opinion. Yes, there isn't going to be a smoking gun. Right. You need to regulate conduct that is upstream of that. You need to shine some light into like the dark rooms where powerful people collude. So you have all these people saying, well, it's just disclosure requirements, right? And people saying, well, look, there's no evidence that this impacted any case outcomes, right? But that is sort of, leaning into the idea of like an extremely narrow and I think unserious definition of corruption, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Corruption isn't just, I'll give you this money, then you do me a favor in the future. Right. Uh, it can also be that you get rewarded for the things you've already done, right? Yeah. right? right. Thomas is getting invited to all of this shit because he is rigidly conservative. Right. Implicit in that is two things. One is that if he stopped being so conservative in his jurisprudence, he would risk losing access to all of this largesse. Right. The other is that if someone else 
some other justice, some other federal judge were to be rigidly conservative, they might gain access to all of this largesse. Exactly. People can see this. That is what corruption is. That is the corrupting influence of money on politics. ProPublica estimated the value of that one super yacht trip with the transport and the private jet as potentially worth half a million dollars, right? There's evidence that he's been brought along on various trips. We have evidence that one took place in 2007 because he wore the commemorative polo, Mm -hmm. meaning that the value of all this personal hospitality is definitely in the millions. Yes. And on the outer bound, potentially in excess of something like $10 million. Yes. If you think that that is somehow not corruption, you have the brain of a fucking rodent. (laughs) Like, I don't know what else you can say about it. Right. If that's not corruption to you, then you don't have an actual definition of corruption. You don't. Exactly. Not a real one. Yeah. And, you know, I do want to say, like, I don't want to, like, jump ahead to, like, just broad-based discussion stuff just yet. But it is, like, this very lawyerly idea. And it's, like, this very lawyerly instinct to be, like, well, you know, this is what the law requires. And so what we should be focusing on is whether or not he complied with the law. And this is all a very... Living in a post-Citizens United, post-McDonald world, right, where the main tools against corruption are supposed to be just disclosure requirements, right? Mm -hmm. That rich people can funnel a ton of money into campaigns and can lavish elected politicians and apparently judges with just insane obsequious gifts and the only tool the public has against this is just to know that it's going on. And I just think that's not the right way to be thinking about this. And so I want to reserve some of my thoughts on that, but I think the important thing to remember is like, what's really scandalous here is their relationship, right? right? The disclosure is an important lends into that because it's clear that Thomas knows their relationship is scandalous and he's seeking to hide it from the public as a result and violating the law in order to do so. That is a serious ethical breach separate and apart from the basic disclosure requirements. Exactly. So back on this idea of Harlan Crow not having interests or cases in front of the court, you know, supposedly, according to him and according to Justice Thomas, not trying to influence Thomas on cases. Right. This is why it's all above board and actually just Yeah, fine. it's all above mm-hmm. board because Justice Thomas isn't ruling on a case that I have in front of him, right? Well, given the amount of money and financial advocacy Crow has, has given to conservative causes, that technically being correct is just more bullshit, right? As I said earlier, Harlan Crow is on the governing board of the American Enterprise Institute, which is a conservative think tank that has filed numerous amicus briefs at the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. In fact, in their 2022 annual report, the AEI says, quote, thanks to a renewed emphasis on constitutional law and the Supreme Court, we have had our most direct impact on the court's evolving view of the administrative state. Specifically, an important AEI press book on the topic helps shape 
a crucial Supreme Court decision, end quote. That decision was West Virginia v. EPA, which, of course, struck down an Obama-era environmental regulation for supposedly failing to be authorized by Congress. You know, it's part of the ongoing attacks by conservatives on the administrative state. One of AEI's reports was cited by Justice Gorsuch in his concurrence in that case. Again, numerous amicus briefs by AEI, right? At the Supreme Court, Harlan is on the governing board of this organization. Justice Thomas is on the Supreme Court deciding the cases. So fuck off with like my interests aren't being decided by Justice Thomas on the Supreme Court. Again, the entanglement in the business world, the entanglement in government, the entanglement socially by all of these fucking losers, these fucking maniacs. Don't fall for it. They are constantly talking about this stuff. They are constantly talking about, quote unquote, the work, their mission. They are constantly deciding on these issues for each other, for each other's benefit all of the time in every aspect of their careers and social life. That's right. Mm -hmm. And by the way, not even the only board that he's served on that is relevant to this, Mm -hmm. the Center for Community Interest, another right wing think tank. Harlan Crow was on their board, and it was reported in 2011 that they had filed eight amicus briefs before the Supreme Court, and Clarence Thomas sided with them in every single one. Beautiful. So just this like technicality, like Harlan Crow is not personally before the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Like there's no case called United States v. Crow, and therefore this is all okay. Bullshit. That's not how the fucking real world works. And they know that better than anyone. They know it. They know it. Yeah. So in terms of what's happening, you know, of course, our nimble politicians have uh, <laughs> leapt to action mm-hmm. here yes. uh-huh. after like weeks of, of scandal. Dick Durbin, the chair of the Judiciary Committee, was like, we're going to hold a hearing and I am cordially inviting my good friend John Roberts to <laughs> right, uh, right. to attend this hearing. Uh, it doesn't appear Roberts is going to attend. Uh, it's not clear yet, but it seems like he maybe just sent the letter to the judicial conference, <laughs> which is just like a uh-huh. the policy body of the federal court system, right. which in turn sent a letter to the Senate saying they were referring it to their subcommittee on <laughs> disclosures, financial right. disclosures. So it's like <laughs> we're now getting into committees and subcommittees that I've never heard of. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. That's where John Roberts is sending your fucking invitation. That's where that's going, you know? And we should say, like, the Senate Judiciary Committee, they they have subpoena power. Absolutely. They could subpoena Mm -hmm. these people. They could subpoena Justice Roberts. They could subpoena Justice Clarence Thomas to come and testify in front of the Judiciary Committee. They're not doing that. It's a fucking invitational. Come if you please. Yeah, but Rhiannon, you have to consider Rhiannon. That the Democrats only have a one vote majority on the Judiciary Committee. Ah, yes. And that one vote happens to be, that tie-breaking vote happens to be one of their most senior members, not in rank, but one of their most senior members in just being very old, Dianne Feinstein, Mm -hmm. who is 89, probably has late-stage dementia, Mm-hmm. And has been hospitalized with shingles for a couple months. Yeah. Diane's out here getting diseases from like Huckleberry Finn. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Now, apparently they could still get a proxy vote for her and do this. And it seems like they're just using this as an excuse to not issue subpoenas or yeah, could be. dodge this fight. I don't know. I would like to hear someone justify this political calculation. Right. It's like, yeah, John Roberts doesn't want any part of this. Clarence Thomas doesn't want any part of this. Right. Like Harlan Crow has said, he doesn't want anybody knowing yeah. what he does and doesn't do. And he only discloses the bare minimum as required by law. Clarence Thomas doesn't even do that, right? He literally violated the law to avoid people knowing about this. Roberts is passing this off. Mm -hmm. Your political adversaries are running from this. You have the chance to see a drowning man and toss them an anchor. And you're like, oh, maybe not. Right. Yeah. Maybe instead we'll say, yeah, but the problem is one of our most important members is 130. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't know where she is. And uh, might die of dysentery like at any moment. Sorry. And so we can't right. issue subpoenas. This is supposed to make you look like an effective party. Right. This is the political calculation. Sorry, Diane Feinstein is literally incapable of just saying yes on subpoenas. And so we can't do our basic oversight function. Mm -hmm. I don't buy it. I don't buy that this is a good political calculation. <laughs> you know, I, doesn't, it doesn't. Feels off. <laughs> it feels wrong. The key is to always look weak. Yes. yes. <laughs> that way you give your opponents a false sense of security. Right. Right. And then when it turns out that Diane can say a full sentence, they're like, whoa. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Diane Feinstein coming into the hearing, like like Willis Reed hobbling into the finals or whatever, yeah. <laughs> like game seven. Right. <laughs> and, you know, to be clear, yeah, they have subpoena power. What they should be doing, what their end goal should be, at least in the short term, is to subpoena Clarence Thomas and get his ass before the committee. Right. Subpoena John Roberts, get his ass before the committee. So we can talk about maybe why the Supreme Court doesn't seem to have any ethical rules that bind anybody and get some clarity on that, perhaps, right. and uh, have him explain why he thinks this is a good system. This is all low-hanging fruit. This is stuff that is achievable in the short term. And yet the Democrats, they're somehow flailing on that? Yeah. Embarrassing. Yeah. I've seen, like, some people say basically, well, like, look, you can't impeach Clarence Thomas because you don't control the House and you'll never get 65 votes in the Senate or whatever. True enough. True. The idea that the only value from dragging these people before the Senate would be in getting a successful impeachment, I think is just myopic, right? Like right. the Benghazi hearings eventually led to criminal investigation that led to Hillary Clinton arguably losing the presidency and, and gaining yeah. two Supreme Court seats for the, the right. Yeah, that's how one party does politics. Right. So that's a pretty successful thing. I think you could argue that the January 6th committee hearings have been wildly successful both politically and policy-wise, right? Like, mm -hmm. their political theater has value. It moves public opinion. It creates the opportunity for policymaking and for political victories. You got to do it, though. Like, you have to do right. it. You have to fight. It's like being like, oh, we can't impeach. 
That's like waiting for a major league pitcher to throw underhand to you. Right. <laughs> right. So you can knock it out of the park. Right. right. It's like, no, you're going to have to hit some fastballs. Exactly. You're in the fucking big leagues. Yeah. You're going to have to swing at some pitches. Yeah. It's one mechanism of oversight. It's one tool that you have. Do the other shit. You are yeah. the oversight body, right? right? Do the things that you can do to do right. some fucking oversight. Like, it really is that simple. That's yeah. why we need to citizens arrest him. Because <laughs> the Democrats aren't on this, but your hosts are. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah, so with all this bullshit, with all this garbage coming out, and, you know, last week, we spent a good part of last week talking to law students who have this question all the time. What can be done? Like, what is next? What can be done mm -hmm. to do something about what is clearly a problem at the fucking Supreme Court, right? So a few things, some small, some big. Do you have ammonia? Do you have bleach? <laughs> A few things, some small, some big, some ideas, some legislation, right? Like, uh, let's jump in. So back in February of this year, before all this bullshit came out, the American Bar Association adopted a resolution that the Supreme Court of the United States should adopt a binding code of ethics, right? There's also a bill in Congress right now. The bill would require justices of the Supreme Court to adopt and follow a code of ethics. It creates an accountability mechanism for these ethics by establishing advisory review by appellate court judges, places transparency standards on gifts and travel, codifies recusal standards, and would require the court to disclose lobbying and dark money interests before it. So there's that bill pending. Some Senate Democrats recently have said that they are tying congressional funding of the Supreme Court to the condition that the Supreme Court adopt an ethics code, right? The Supreme Court is asking from Congress for for over $150 million in the appropriations process for 2024. So this proposal would be that Congress withholds $10 million of that unless the justices adopt a code. I say, why not all of it? But uh, sure, okay, withhold some funding if they don't adopt a code of ethics. But even more broadly, I think an ethics code is like one of the most fucking obvious things that mm -hmm. like needs to be done in the short term, right? But Thinking a little bit more broadly, I think this is another reason, yet another symptom, yet another example of the massive need for Supreme Court reform, right? Structural institutional reform. We have to be thinking and thinking in creative ways about decreasing the power of this institution, decreasing the power of individual justices, right? Mm -hmm. This can be a whole host of things. The sky is the limit. The world is your oyster, right? There are a ton of ways that the Supreme Court can be reformed. First, of course, there should be a code of ethics. There should also be things in the discussion like term limits, like jurisdiction stripping, like changing the lower federal courts, like expanding the Supreme Court, right? Michael, when we've been talking to law students recently, you've had a really cool idea that I hadn't heard about before about Supreme Court justices. Okay, maybe they don't have term limits, right? But every president gets to appoint one or two Supreme Court justices no matter what. Right. So the Supreme Court would expand sometimes, but then, you know, they age, they retire, they die. So justices fall off. 
off and the number changes, it's always in flux. That's another idea. Like there's no limitation on the ideas, right? The Constitution isn't limiting us here, (laughs) right? We have to be able to imagine how this institution can work better and put that in place, put those structures in place, right? I'll also float out there that, yes, we need an ethics code of conduct. We also need the ethical laws governing the court have actual teeth. Yes. So earlier I was like, Clarence Thomas definitely violated the law. Maybe if you're a listener at home, you got a little bit excited. Oh, cool. What can we do about that? Maximum $10,000 fine per violation from what I can gather. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's basically cost of doing business. You can fine them for every single disclosure violation. I'm pretty sure that doesn't get you to the value of one of these super yacht vacations. So that's not going to dissuade Clarence Thomas. We need this shit to have actual teeth. Harlan Crow could pay for that with one donation to one of Ginny's. Yeah organizations that will pay her an expanded salary. Exactly. No matter how big it is, Harlan Crow could just pay for it. Right. Right. And look, we talked earlier, I said members of Congress have disclosure and anti-corruption rules that they have to abide by, right? Like our Mm -hmm. government is not some like pinnacle fucking like anti-corruption beacon of health, right? Like there are serious problems across our government. But how do you hold accountable other politicians other government officials for corruption do that for the Supreme Court as a fucking starting step, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's really, really not rocket science. Right. Yeah. And I think this is becoming a bigger story now because the public is kind of fed up with the court and some of the journalists are sort of disillusioned with it. You know, this stuff came out, like Reese said earlier, in 04 and 2011, and in 2011, when the relationship was reported on between Crow and Thomas, you know, the court took it seriously. They even trotted out Breyer and Scalia. They went to a hearing before Senate Judiciary and like the senators treated them like fucking rock stars. Right. There's a quote from Pat Leahy being like, I feel like I'm back in law school getting a lecture from my favorite professor or something. Fucking Justice Breyer said something that will make you want to punch a wall. Breyer said that he had not seen a decision influenced by politics in his 17 years on the court. (laughs) God, what an absolute, absolute dumb piece of shit. What a fucking dumbass. And then Roberts wrote a report saying basically the court doesn't need mandatory ethics requirements because they're really good and they follow the rules. Mm-hmm. This is what, the same year, a couple years after Clarence Thomas's like initial violation where he didn't disclose Ginny's income from the Heritage Foundation? That's right. right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, try getting the fucking Senate judiciary to do that now. Diane Feinstein's wandering her neighborhood in a nightgown right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, so I think this has more traction now, right? I think this has more traction now because Democratic senators, journalists, and the American public don't have the same view of the court as they did in 2011. The court has made that practically impossible. And thanks to the advocacy of organizations like Demand Justice and politicians like Sheldon Whitehouse and and all you guys calling your representatives, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think this shit flies anymore. Yeah which is why I think something that's been reported on multiple times in the last 
nearly 20 years is now a scandal. And we're starting to see the full picture of it. And it is, and it's a scandal that's been allowed to fester for decades. And as it's festered, it's gotten worse. It's gotten worse and worse and worse. And I think it's gangrenous and needs to be amputated. Amputate Clarence Thomas from the court. <laughs> and that is why we will be citizens arresting Clarence Thomas at That's the right. next opportunity. I will be dressing up as the sex slave staff at one of these resorts uh, and, and then busting out. I will turn the fuzzy handcuffs on him and I, <laughs> and I will make the arrest. <laughs> You think they have like monkey knife fights on the super yachts, like in The Simpsons, once they're in international waters? <laughs> I picture all like the evil, all of the things that we think evil rich people do in like the back of our minds. I feel like they- It's gotta mm-hmm. be so dark. They do that shit on the super yachts when they're in the middle of the <laughs> Pacific. <laughs> so we should talk about, you know, the conservative movement more broadly. Like we talk a lot about in this podcast about- the Federalist Society. We talk about the conservative legal movement. Sometimes we're kind of loose and we may treat these almost as interchangeable, although I don't think we actually do for the most part. I think this is a great illustration, though, of our core point about this stuff and about the political forces at work in our government right now, which is, yeah, of course, all these names in conservative politics are like coming out in support of Harlan Crow. Like, of course, Ted Cruz and James Ho and Mark Paoletta and Leonard Leo. A lot of the writers that came to his defense are sort of infamously like steadfast, never Trump Republican writers. But Ginny Thomas was, as we've discussed, like texting Trump's chief of staff, like, in the run-up to January 6th being like Biden's and his family are going to be a barge in Guantanamo. Like it really illustrates that there is no space at all between the anti-Trump conservatives, the pro-Trump conservatives, the judges, the activists, the legislators, and their funders, right? right? They are all in one big club and they go on vacations together, they go to conferences together, they sit on boards of various think tanks together, and they're all working together towards the same goals, right? Like this is not like some conspiracy theory and it's not some bullshit you're hearing on a podcast, it's happening. Like it's being documented in our papers right now with anyone who decides to like take even a slightly big picture look at what these stories are about. Yeah. Conservatives want to avoid that. They want to make it into a series of oversights and misunderstandings about a disclosure law and make it seem small and isolated and, oh, he's just a friend. And that's not what this is, right? Thomas is like, a kept boyfriend, except in this case, rather than being a side piece, he's a fucking incredibly powerful government official. Yep. And that's the nature of their relationship. Just like these billionaires shower their mistresses and misters or whatever. I don't know what you call a, 
Um, you call them mistresses, yeah. M- no, a male side piece. What do you call it, male side? Yeah, mistresses. Mistresses. <laughs> <laughs> they shower them with money. They keep them up in their apartments, right? Mm-hmm. They take them on trips. All that shit. Thomas is in his entourage. Right, exactly. Crow is like a Kardashian and Thomas is in his entourage. And the idea that there's no power dynamics in those relationships is fucking moronic. And the best evidence for that is Thomas violating the law, flouting the law openly for 20 years in order to hide the fact of this relationship from the American public. Right. Mm -hmm. Hey folks, we were about to publish this episode when some news broke. Zoe Tillman, a reporter for Bloomberg, has uncovered something that makes Clarence Thomas's excuses for not disclosing look even weaker than they already did. Thomas, of course, gave various reasons why he didn't disclose these gifts, one of which was that Harlan Crow did not have business before the court. And we already talked about how that's sort of bullshit. He was on the board of various organizations that filed amicus briefs with the court. Um, He generally has his hand in Republican politics and is involved in all matter of issues that come before the court in some form or another. But it turns out it's even worse than that. In 2005, there was a dispute involving Crow's real estate company or a real estate company that Crow owns, and it made its way up to the Supreme Court. It was not heard by the Supreme Court because the justices denied a review, but Clarence Thomas did not recuse himself from that denial, meaning he was one of the justices that decided whether or not this case would be heard by the court. So, It turns out that even if the question is whether or not Harlan Crow or one of his companies had a case directly in front of the Supreme Court, the answer is still yes, making all of this just a little bit worse and adding to the teetering Jenga of lies that uh, Thomas is stacking up right now. So I'm sure that uh, more news will keep breaking, but That's the good stuff for now. All right, next week, Palmer v. Thompson. We're talking segregation. Can you do it? Maybe a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. right. Follow us on Twitter at 54pod. Thank you for subscribing. We love and appreciate you. We'll see you next week. 5 to 4 is presented by Prologue Projects. Rachel Ward is our producer. Leon Nafok and Andrew Parsons provide editorial support. Our production manager is Persia Verlin. Peter Murphy designed our website, 54pod.com. Our artwork is by Teddy Blanks at Chips NY, and our theme song is by Spatial Relations. Um, fuck. I have 15 tabs to go through to find this line. (laughs) Sorry. There's a Nazi tab. I can close that. (laughs) Close the eBay tab where you're buying all the memorabilia. Yeah, with all the memorabilia in it.